This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good late afternoon, dear listeners. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 2nd of April, 2023, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is life transitions in school. Welcome. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good late afternoon and early evening, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 34th radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. First, I have to introduce myself for any new potential listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have been living in the United Kingdom since 2008, and I'm a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach languages, French and Spanish, as well as humanities, history and geography. I also have experience as a teacher in nurseries and primary schools in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at ProfProfMFL. All views are my own. Today, I want to focus on a topic that is relevant to me as a female Um, worker in education. So the discussion will be on the topic of life transitions in school. This is mostly relevant to women, women who work in education, parents who have daughters, um, anyone who works in education and has colleagues who happen to be women. And finally, the curious and savvy. So we are human beings. Whether we are students or teachers or members of the care, pastoral care team or members of SLT, we are all human beings. We have bodies and these bodies go through changes, whether we want it or not. I did a podcast previously on feminism and femininity, and I thought I needed to explore what happens to female bodies in particular. So today we're going to talk about the female body going through puberty first, which is a life transition. So the definition of puberty is simple. It is a hormonal change that occurs in uh, child development. And there's a few different stages that have been categorized by Professor James M. Tanner. So the first, um, he was the first to identify these visible stages of puberty. Now, puberty happens in boys and girls, but it is obviously different in girls. It starts usually between the age of 8 and 13 and can last for several years. Some might start it later than that. Puberty is the time when a child's body develops and matures. Puberty prepares the child's body so that they can one day be sexually active and procreate. So these changes are caused by natural substances in our body called hormones. So puberty is a physiological event that profoundly transforms the human body. However, we, as much as we are aware of puberty because of exterior signs, we sometimes forget that these exterior signs have a massive impact on the mind and self-perception. It is a very significant event that is physiological and biological, but is also very much psychological in the early life of children. There's been research done about this. If you want to read more, there's a research published about the psychological effect of puberty in children by Statin and Magnusson in 1990. Going back to Tanner, the stages of puberty are as follows. So stage one 
you do not notice any physical sign, but it starts after the eighth birthday. It's a slow preparation. Stage two usually happens between nine and 11. This is when girls are gonna have breasts developing and also pubic hair will start growing. Stage three is from 12 years onward. This is usually coupled with acne that appears, armpit hair, uh, a height increases. And then stage four, around 12 or 13, when the first period arrives. And it ends with stage five, around 15 years old, when the reproductive, the reproductive organs and genitals are fully developed. So these five stages happen at different times, depending on genetic and um, environmental factors. But it is usually from eight to 15 years old that puberty starts and develops. Now, uh, Meneke is um, the moment, the typical moment when a girl will start her first period. And this is a very meaningful time because this is the first time usually when families talk about sexuality and contraception to their daughters. So Meneke is a moment when adults start considering their daughters differently. This links the puberty with the consciousness of sexuality. So because of this reason, Meneke defines the pubertal transition for girls, even though it is not the most fu fundamental change. Uh, having breasts or having your, your hips changing might be quite disturbing for young girls, but Meneke is, is the, the, the sign usually that people attribute to puberty. Now, the question we can ask as educators is how does this affect our students' learning, the girls' learning, when they go through a very important life transition such as puberty? And there has been research done in Australia by Professor Andrew Martin Maps. And uh, he's a professor of educational psychology at the University of New South Wales. And he was assisted by Catherine Steinbeck, who is a medical foundation chair in adolescent medicine at the University of Sydney. So they both tried to analyze the effects of puberty, which is a biological natural transition, onto school performance in girls. And they paid particular attention to um, the way teachers and parents can help teenagers navigate this difficult life transition. So they interviewed 340 young girls from 10 to 15, which is usually the stage one to five of puberties, and they try to examine the effect, the effect of puberty on their academic achievement and also particularly on their motivation. Their study confirmed that uh, further along in the puberty the children are, the lower their confidence, self-confidence, and the lower the value they placed on school develops. So it, there is a direct link between puberty and how they um, perceive it and motivation and self-confidence. If you want to read more about the effects of puberty on girls, there's a research that's available on the National Library of Medicine. It's a website that you can access. And there's um, the Puberty and the Education of Girls research with Shannon Kavanagh, Catherine Regal Crumb, and Robert Crosno. So this was published in 2007 in um, a journal of sociological psychology, and you can access it online if you want to read more about it. But in that research, it has been studied and proven that puberty and its timing have a direct impact on school performance. It is very interesting for sociologists, psychologists, but also educators and anyone who has to work with young children and adolescents. So this research demonstrates that how and when young girls undergo puberty is gonna shape their sense of self and also is gonna have an impact on their social relationships. So if a girl starts puberty very early at eight or nine and sees her body changing 
from the body of a child to the body of a woman, it might have a detrimental effect on that child's self-confidence and the way she relates to peers who have not yet had exterior signs of puberty. So past evidence suggests that pubertal timing, which is when puberty starts showing, is a major developmental disruption for girls. And early maturing, so when girls start having breasts or start their period, their menarche, around eight or nine, is also a sign of disruption because they are less likely, these girls, to graduate to sixth form or high school, depending on the educational system they're in. There is also an association with the risk of self-harm, both for boys and girls who experience early puberty. And the statistics shows that 32% of 15-year-old girls and 11% of 15-year-old boys report self-harm at the minute. And it might have been much higher than that since COVID. So this is a very, very serious matter, the life transition of puberty. And we should really make sure that in our curriculum, we take this into account, not just by teaching what the stages of puberty are, but by changing the way we teach so that we take into account these massive, this massive upheaval that puberty represents. What are the risks of having puberty too early, but also of not being prepared enough to face the challenges that puberty does? Well, there's a risk of low self-esteem and low self-esteem might have an impact on mental health illnesses. Children who have low self-esteem and are not accepting of their early puberty on signs could go on to developing body dysmorphia or eating disorder. There might be a heightened risk of obesity and anxiety. And as a consequence, there might also be risk-taking behavior, drug-taking behavior, early pregnancy, because this, these children might be tempted to start their sexuality early because they had puberty early. And there might also be a lack of motivation in school, a risk of dropping out of school, and a general um, issue with mental illness. So what can we do to alleviate the effects of puberty on education in schools? Well, the way to support young girls Going through puberty at school is varied. What we usually do in most schools in the UK is teach what puberty means. This is done with PSHDE, Personal, Social, Health and Civic Education. This is not a topic that is taught by specialized teachers. PSHDE is taught by form tutors. So this means that it can be a teacher of maths, a teacher of French, a teacher of science, a teacher of music, or a teacher of drama or Spanish, who ends up talking about PSHCE to students. There has been a little bit of a media storm in on social media lately about the content of PSHCE. This is not what I'm going to allude to today. What I'm alluding to today is the fact that we might underplay the drastic effects of puberty on girls at school and we might just be brushing the subject by teaching what puberty is but we might also be forgetting what it does to students who are sitting in front of us in the classroom. So how can we support the girls who are going through puberty? So first maybe we should start talking about puberty before it happens with very good quality resources. So it would mean teaching uh, the, the changes of puberty when we're in year five rather than wait till we're in year seven. It, it is also by making sure the girls are aware and very much uh, equipped to understand the way their bodies are changing, which is going to support young girls who are going through puberty. Which means in order to do so, we need to have proper resources available we also need to have time to discuss growing up and what puberty does and what puberty is openly and honestly. And this is quite a tricky situation because we have mixed schools, most, most of us in the UK. There's um, 
there's a boys schools or girls schools. But the issue is when we teach a mixed class, we might not have the time or we might have students who self-censor and do not ask the questions they're interested in because there is other people in the classroom that they feel they could disclose their worries in front of. So it might be a very good idea to set up a group of girls to whom we're going to teach what puberty is, what to expect, how to deal with it, separate from the boys. And the boys would have their own lessons on puberty, but for boys. After making time to discuss informing and making sure the students understand what puberty is and how they can deal with it when when they go through it, we also need to make sure that we create safe spaces for girls only. A lot of girls do not feel secure and safe in our schools. If you ask young teenagers, you will see that they are sometimes the victim of sexual touching or of sexual illusions, and they feel sometimes they can't use the toilets at school because they don't feel safe enough, which might lead to problems with their bladder because of excessive retention of urine. So it is important that schools provide the knowledge about puberty, but also some safe spaces where girls can be and ask the questions they need to ask. We need to raise awareness on feminism and womanhood issues so that girls can actually be empowered. It is only through knowledge that our girls are going to be able to embrace their puberty and not suffer the ill side effects of it. If we think about being preemptive, we need to make sure that our girls who are going through puberty in our schools have access to nutritious food. There is 30% of our students in the UK who live in poverty. Access to good nutritious food is paramount to develop, to um, have the body changing. So it is important that we offer free school meals or free breakfast for young girls. Now, another way we can make sure that our students go through puberty in the best possible way is to allow them to access exercise and this can be done in mixed classes but we can also offer the option for girls to do exercise with other girls only. Um, access to nature is paramount. Too many students just go to school and then go home and are on screens too much. This is not going to make them aware of what their bodies need. So we should include in the curriculum some time outdoors, possibly in the park or in the forest. Scientific studies have proven that being able to smell the soil and to smell the leaves has an important uh, healing effect on people who suffer from depression. So we need to make sure we take the time to get access to nature for our young people. We also need to talk about puberty, but also to offer contraception to young girls, because if they experience puberty too early, they might also become sexually active too early. So contraception, access to contraception and access to resources is really important for young girls. In that attempt to be mindful and to uh, consolidate well-being for our young girls going through the life transition of puberty, it is really important that we talk about less exam pressures to reduce anxiety, because if puberty is already anxiety-inducive, adding the pressure of exam is really counterproductive. Mental health is in crisis in the UK at the moment and in many developed countries. We have many students who suffer from anxiety. It is important to reduce the causes of anxiety and exam pressure is definitely a big cause of anxiety. Because we want our students to be well equipped to experience puberty in the best situation, we need to encourage the presence of uh, school nurses and psychologists on site in each school. It is really important to do to deal with anxiety, but also all the diseases that are, that are linked with the side effects of puberty, such as anxiety, but also eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Having a school psychologist should be a, necess a necessity.
We also need people to do drug and suicide prevention because we need to remember that suicide is the first cause of death for young men as well. So having a, a chi child psychologist on site in every school seems like the first step forward. If we think about a holistic way of addressing life transitions, such as puberty in schools, we need to increase the access to arts and creative studies. Our students all do music and arts in most schools in the UK, but we need to also offer after-school clubs or more access in different times so that girls and boys can experience art as a mean or as an outlet to express themselves. I would go as far as saying that flexible working hours or flexible studying hours could be a way to encourage girls to deal with puberty if it's difficult for them. As a whole, it is really important that we create schools as safe space for girls where they can ask the questions they need to ask and where they can feel like they're being heard and that they can grow up and go through puberty without added stress. I'm going to list, listen to the news in your lovely company and then we'll go back to talk about the other challenges and life transitions that we experience in our school settings. Thank you for staying on. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In union news, Daniel Kbede has been elected leader of the National Education Union. The union is the largest teachers union and has been at the forefront of industrial action over teachers' pay in recent months. Mr Kabede said in a statement, after taking 69% of the vote to win the election, I am honoured to have been elected as General Secretary. I would like to thank everyone who has supported and campaigned for me. He went on to talk about the need for fundamental change in education and that this included an end to real terms pay cuts, an end to massive overwork of staff, the end of punitive Ofsteds and an increase in school funding. He also thanked current Joint General Secretaries Kevin Courtney and Dr Mary Bowstead for their inspiring leadership over the last six years. They will step down at the end of August. The BBC reports that, according to a leaked government document, almost a quarter of teachers in England are working 12-hour days, with around 60% of teachers saying they were doing 60 hours a week or more. The research by the Department for Education was carried out during spring 2022, but the findings have not been officially made public. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan has said that a new task force will be created to help reduce teachers' workload by an average of five hours per week. The leak comes as teaching unions consult members in England on a new pay offer, which includes the promise to reduce workload. The leaked document, marked confidential and given the title Working Lives of Teachers and Leaders, was produced by the DFE to examine issues around teacher supply, recruitment and retention. More than 11,000 teachers and leaders across primary and secondary were questioned. The report found one in four teachers were considering leaving the state sector within the next 12 months. Workload was the key factor in this decision. Three quarters said they spent too much time on paperwork. Two thirds of leaders said they spent too much time responding to government policy changes. One in five said they had low satisfaction in their working life, whilst almost a half rated their anxiety levels as high. Almost three quarters of teachers described their workload as unacceptable. Dr Mary Bowstead of the NEU accused ministers of withholding important information from the peer review body although the government denied this. A spokesperson for the government insisted that the recent pay offer of 4.3% plus a £1,000 one-off payment was fair and reasonable. 
The Department for Education has released an update on the .gov.uk website focusing on the review of the way relationships, sex and health education is delivered. The update comes after a number of stories across media outlets prompted concern and outrage from some quarters and claims that hysteria is being whipped up by right-wing agitators from others. RSHE education has been compulsory for pupils in primary schools since September 2020. In secondary schools, relationships and sex education must be taught. The review, which will be completed by an expert panel, will focus on how to ensure pupils have access to age-appropriate information and how to place protection from pupils being introduced to things that they are too young to understand properly. The panel will also consider how age ratings can be introduced for different parts of the curriculum. The review will be completed before the end of 2023. As we approach Easter, the debate about supporting families who receive support through free school meals should be supported in holiday times and it's opened up again. The big issue raises concerns that despite the cost of living crisis, many families will go without support until term begins again. In what it calls a postcode lottery for support, many families will miss out as current funding largely depends on where you live. In England, the government is not directly funding free school meals over the Easter break, but support may be available if local councils decide to provide meals or vouchers. Many councils are relying on the holiday activities and food programme to support low-income families. In Scotland, some councils are offering free school meals payments to low-income families, but universal free school meals for children in primary one to five will not be available. There is some support available, but it varies by council, as does the amount of support being offered. The Welsh Government has made free meals available throughout the holiday period. The Government in Wales announced that £9 million has been provided to support eligible pupils with a free meal up to the end of May half term, including all bank holidays. The support will take the form of meal vouchers, money or packed lunches. In Northern Ireland, no free school meal provision is available. The previous holiday hunger payments of £27 per fortnight ceased on April 1st. A Department for Education spokesperson said it was because additional ring-fenced funding had ended. But campaigners focusing on food poverty said the decision was abhorrent. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you for listening to the news, dear listeners. So, earlier, we were talking about life transitions in schools. What I meant by life transitions were the very difficult times we go through as our bodies go through changes. For instance, more than just our first day at school, the most dramatic change we experience when we're going through school are puberty when we're students, and as adults, when we're female workers in particular, we go through the menopause. So today I want to talk about puberty for students and the menopause for female staff. We alluded to the Tanner stages of puberty, which is stage one after the age of eight, when the children don't show any signs of changing, but their body is preparing to um, go through puberty. Stage two, from nine to 11 years old, when breasts start to show. Stage three, when there's acne sometimes, uh, armpit hair, uh, pubic hair, and also um, the first meneke. Stage four, uh, it might be at 10 or 11 or 12 or sometimes 13, but it is obviously when a meneke is established, when periods are established. And stage five, when the reproductive organs and genitals are fully developed. So these stages of puberty are a biological necessity and all girls go through similar stages in uh, different ages, depending on um, genetics or heritage. So um, the problem is that that change is not just biological, it is also psychological. Uh, Martin published a research in 1995 when he expressed that the problem with menarche, which is one of the signs of puberty, is that it's the first time when adults will teach girls about sexuality and also sometimes contraception and the dangers of sex. So the problem with menarche is that it is very often linked with sexuality and prevention of 
of pregnancies, whereas it is just one of the symptoms of um, puberty. So it means that girls, very young sometimes, if they start Meneki when they're eight or nine, become inserted in a certain dominant pattern of thought, which is in influenced by sexuality. And they might not have the psychological development or the understanding to deal with this. So puberty can be inducive of many difficulties, which are mostly psychological. We have many risks when we go through puberty, a risk of develop, developing anxiety, low self-esteem, lack of motivation, body dysmorphia, eating disorders, risk-taking, um, starting sexuality being sexually active too early early pregnancy dropping out of school uh, obesity and drug taking so we have also seen that in some research published there has been a link between a very early puberty development and dropping out of school so it is really important we give the best help for our students to go through puberty i went through a list of all the things we can do and put in place as teachers uh, making sure students have access to nutritious food that's more what the government can do uh, making sure there's a psychologist or a nurse on site in every school this is also depending on government budgets, making sure there's less exam pressure. This is also a political decision. But what the teachers can do is making sure arts and creative studies have um, space and are offered, uh, organizing safe spaces for girls, making sure they have access to um, puberty education for themselves, for just for girls, making sure they can ask questions if they need to, making sure they can access exercise and maybe having uh, special classes just for girls for exercise. PSHC lessons also may be um, gender separated, one for girls, one for boys. After all, they go through a different type of puberty. Having um, interesting motivational trips or events also maybe for girls particularly, taking them to uh, see a feminist play or something that creates a sense of community, a safe space where they can be themselves and where they won't be sexualized is very important. Raising awareness on issues that women face and on feminism is also very important. We need to make sure girls can talk openly, honestly about puberty and that they feel safe when they do so. So this was about puberty. Now, I want to talk about the opposite of puberty, which is menopause. Because in schools, we have students, but we also have staff. And the staff have all usually gone through puberty. But now, because we know that 77%, of staff in schools in the UK are women, we are bound to have a lot of these women going through menopause at one time in their career. So what is the menopause? Because we talk about it a little bit more now, but nowhere as much as we talk about puberty. Menopause is a point in time which is usually 12 months after a woman's last period. Of course, we do not know when a woman's last period will be. This usually happens between the ages of 45 and 55, but there has been women who started menopause very early in their early 30s, and women who were still fertile quite late. So it can sometimes happen at different stages. Or it can also be um, due to surgery. If you remove the ovaries or the uterus, there will be an early menopause. The menopause takes a long time just a bit similar to puberty. Puberty can start around 8, 9 and finishes around 15, 17, depending. The menopause lasts from 7 to 14 years. So that's a very big chunk of a woman's career that is going to be affected by this life transitional change. The medical definition of the menopause is a natural part of a biological aging, which is caused by the loss of ovarian follicular function and a decline in circulating blood oestrogen levels. So the period cycle stops, 
there is no longer the ovaries releasing an egg and the level of oestrogen in the blood, the level of hormone, the female hormone, oestrogen, decreases rapidly. So this is a biological, natural condition that women go through in their lives. How does it affect them when they work in education? Well, data sources vary, but I found a statistic that said that 80% of women actually at one point in their career, when they go through menopause, consider giving up work because of the menopause and its symptoms. So it might be something that is seen as a difficult time in their lives, and it can go against their working um, life. Can we remember the statistics, and I insist on this, 75.5% of teachers are women. That's a lot. That's more than the majority of um, people work in education who are women. So we need to talk about the menopause objectively, and we need to take it into consideration. Menopausal women can experience up to 30 different symptoms. I'm not going to list them all but you might have been aware of it if you have a mother who went through menopause or sister or cousin or a partner. At the moment, a lot of women who have been through the menopause or who are going through the menopause are trying to raise awareness of it. The celebrity Carol Voldemann has been talking to the Equalities Minister, Kemi Badenoch, and they had a bit of an argument because Kemi Badenoch said that the symptoms of menopause were not difficult to handle for most women, and he, he compared it to the fact of being uh, of having ginger hair, which is a very strange statement. Having ginger hair is just a physical attribute. The menopause is a medical and biological change, which does not happen easily for many, many women. So there's still a lot of bias and um, sometimes demeaning perceptions of what the menopause is. So Carol Voldemann, Voldemann's apologies, is trying to push for um, menopausal women to be given a special legally protected status under the Equality Act of 2010. There's a lot of people trying to campaign so that we actually um, support women who go through the menopause in the workplace. So the symptoms of the menopause, well, they're varied, and they could be also associated to other conditions. There is fatigue, brain fog, difficulty concentrating, headache, migraine, dizziness, gum problems, anxiety, depression, hot flushes, mood swings, irritability, hair loss, night sweats, brittle nails, allergies, insomnia, joint pain, osteoporosis, dry and itchy skin, vaginal dryness, irregular periods, loss of libido, bloating, stress incontinence, tingling extremities, electric shocks, digestive problems, weight gain. That's a lot of symptoms, isn't it? So obviously not all women experience them. Not all women experience more than five of them. Some women experience a few of those at the beginning, not all at the same time. But it is undeniable that it is not a list of symptoms we would like to experience on a daily basis. The body of a woman changes when they go through the menopause. Their fat cells change. Their bone density changes. The hair color turns to white. And there's a thinning of the skin. It is a different stage of life. Just like puberty, it is a transition, and we need to support any human being who is going through a difficult physical transition, and this is what we should be talking about today. If you're interested in reading more about the menopause, there's a lot of resources online. There is the American National Institute for Aging, NIA, where you can find lots of um, resources and studies and advice. There is also websites um, populated by menopause special specialist GPs, and there was one in the UK called www.menopausematters.co.uk. I repeat, www.menopausematters.co.uk. And there is another one called 
rockmymenopause.com. These websites promote awareness. They allow you to make an informed decision if you suffer from menopausal symptoms at work. And they also encourage you to be part of a community and to discuss your symptoms and your life experience with other people who are suffering. I'm sure that there is Facebook groups and Twitter hashtags that can allow you to also connect with other people who are uh, working in education while undergoing the menopause. What are the treatments to alleviate the symptoms? And we went through the list, there's quite a lot of symptoms. Well, there's a medicalized treatment and it is hormone replacement therapy. In England, it is now very easy to get uh, the hormone replacement therapy. You can get it over the counter after having a prescription, I assume. But it is quite a, it is a medical treatment, so it has side effects. So any woman who t- makes a decision with her GP to use hormone replacement therapy should be aware that there is also side effects. If you do not want to take a pill or a hormone replacement therapy, you can also take, um, I mean, you can also have a psychological t- treatment or support via cognitive therapy. So you can go with pills, hormone replacement therapy, or with um, emotional and psychological support with cognitive therapy. After that, any woman who is going through menopause could also look at her diet, her sleeping patterns, uh, joining a group, exercising, and just gently managing symptoms uh, in a holistic way. What do schools do to support 75% of their working staff who are female? Well, each school should now start developing its menopause policy in order to inform its workers and support its female staff going through the menopause. So the first thing I would ask any educators to do now is to check their school website and see if there is a menopause policy in their workplace. And I would go as far as saying it shouldn't just be schools doing this. I know the NHS does it because the NHS has even more female employees. 77% of NHS staff are women. Any any institution that hires women should have a menopause policy in place. And please, if you work in an institution where there's female workers, and there must be a female worker in any institution, you should ask your human resource officer or your line manager to provide a menopause policy as a matter of urgency. So what can the school do about having staff who are undergoing a life transitions? Well, first we need to allow the staff to be informed about their rights and to be informed about what's in place to support them. We need to link with organizational health and well-being champions in order to encourage local support to be offered to staff. So it might be by having a school nurse or a psychologist on site or someone from the pastoral team who is the dedicated officer to provide support for menopausal workers. We should also go a little bit further down a little bit further and ask to be placed in the law the offer to an offer to have menopausal leave as an option we have leave for funerals we have maternity leave we have sometimes parental leave we should also ha- we also have adoption leave we should have menopausal leave if symptoms become too debilitating debilitating and at times they might be coupled Um, If there's too many symptoms in one go and the worker is suffering too much, they should be able to say, this is my menopausal leave. We should organize support inside the school and maybe offer a meeting point or a meeting maybe once a fortnight or once a month for staff who are going through the menopause or for staff whose partners are going through the menopause, just in order to offer some support, some advice, and to create a friendship and bonding so that people can ask questions in a safe space and receive answers that they need. And the last thing we can do to support staff who are undergoing 
life-changing transitions such as the menopause is to offer the possibility of flexible working. We have all witnessed during the pandemic that when companies and schools need to, they can allow flexible working from home. So this should be a possibility for staff in order to facilitate working for people who are undergoing the menopause. So what is going on at your school? Um, if you are, have access to the chat function, please let me know if you have uh, any examples of colleagues who are going through the menopause and who have been helped by uh, SLT, senior leadership team, or if you have any colleagues who took some time off because of the menopause, please let me know in the chat. Well, it is important that the change comes from all of us and it shouldn't just be a change that is coming from the government down in a pyramid pyramid way. We should always challenge institutions so that they adapt to change faster. So what is going on at your school? You need to ask questions. Does your organization have a menopausal policy, menopause policy? What actions are being taken to educate the workforce, in particular leaders and managers? Let's remember that a lot of schools have female staff who are class teachers, but they are still less women in positions of management and leadership. So we might have people who are not experiencing the menopause in leadership positions, and they might, by definition, not consider it as something to work on or something to inform their staff about. So we need to educate leaders and managers and tell them that the menopause policy is essential. Um, what else could we do and could we make organizations do to support the workforce experiencing menopause symptoms? Well, I gave you some ideas, having a menopause leave as an option, flexible work, but also a meeting so that staff can bond and talk about their experience. It's always very important in a school setting. So I'm going to let you listen to the news one more time and I'll be back to sum up um, and talk about the update on the NEU. So I'll see you after the news. Stay tuned. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In union news, Daniel Kebede has been elected leader of the National Education Union. The union is the largest teachers union and has been at the forefront of industrial action over teachers' pay in recent months. Mr Kabede said in a statement, after taking 69% of the vote to win the election, I am honoured to have been elected as General Secretary. I would like to thank everyone who has supported and campaigned for me. He went on to talk about the need for fundamental change in education and that this included an end to real terms pay cuts, an end to massive overwork of staff, the end of punitive Ofsteds and an increase in school funding. He also thanked current Joint General Secretaries Kevin Courtney and Dr Mary Bowstead for their inspiring leadership over the last six years. They will step down at the end of August. The BBC reports that, according to a leaked government document, almost a quarter of teachers in England are working 12-hour days, with around 60% of teachers saying they were doing 60 hours a week or more. The research by the Department for Education was carried out during spring 2022, but the findings have not been officially made public. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan has said that a new task force will be created to help reduce teachers' workload by an average of five hours per week. The leak comes as teaching unions consult members in England on a new pay offer, which includes the promise to reduce workload. The leaked document, marked confidential and given the title Working Lives of Teachers and Leaders, 
was produced by the DfE to examine issues around teacher supply, recruitment and retention. More than 11,000 teachers and leaders across primary and secondary were questioned. The report found one in four teachers were considering leaving the state sector within the next 12 months. Workload was the key factor in this decision. Three quarters said they spent too much time on paperwork. Two thirds of leaders said they spent too much time responding to government policy changes. One in five said they had low satisfaction in their working life, whilst almost a half rated their anxiety levels as high. Almost three quarters of teachers described their workload as unacceptable. Dr Mary Bowstead of the NEU accused ministers of withholding important information from the peer review body, although the government denied this. A spokesperson for the government insisted that the recent pay offer of 4.3% plus a £1,000 one-off payment was fair and reasonable. The Department for Education has released an update on the .gov.uk website focusing on the review of the way relationship, sex and health education is delivered. The update comes after a number of stories across media outlets prompted concern and outrage from some quarters and claims that hysteria is being whipped up by right-wing agitators from others. RSHE education has been compulsory for pupils in primary schools since September 2020. In secondary schools, relationships and sex education must be taught. The review, which will be completed by an expert panel, will focus on how to ensure pupils have access to age-appropriate information and how to place protection from pupils being introduced to things that they are too young to understand properly. The panel will also consider how age ratings can be introduced for different parts of the curriculum. The review will be completed before the end of 2023. As we approach Easter, the debate about supporting families who receive support through free school meals should be supported in holiday times and it's opened up again. The big issue raises concerns that despite the cost of living crisis, many families will go without support until term begins again. In what it calls a postcode lottery for support, many families will miss out as current funding largely depends on where you live. In England, the government is not directly funding free school meals over the Easter break, but support may be available if local councils decide to provide meals or vouchers. Many councils are relying on the holiday activities and food programme to support low-income families. In Scotland, some councils are offering free school meals payments to low-income families, but universal free school meals for children in primary one to five will not be available. There is some support available, but it varies by council, as does the amount of support being offered. The Welsh Government has made free meals available throughout the holiday period. The Government in Wales announced that £9 million has been provided to support eligible pupils with a free meal up to the end of May half term, including all bank holidays. The support will take the form of meal vouchers, money or packed lunches. In Northern Ireland, no free school meal provision is available. The previous holiday hunger payments of £27 per fortnight ceased on April 1st. A Department for Education spokesperson said it was because additional ring-fenced funding had ended. But campaigners focusing on food poverty said the decision was abhorrent. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Right, so we talked about life transitions in schools for girls and women. We talked about puberty, how to support girls going through puberties. And then we talked about um, staff going through the menopause and how to support staff going through the menopause. I think it is important to raise some some issues about femininity and feminism and womanhood because we have 75% of staff teaching staff being women in the UK. Now we're going to go on an update about the NEU. As you heard in the news, we have the NEU, which is the largest uh, teaching union. It was founded out of two previous unions in September 2017. Its headquarters are in um, London. There is also Numbers from 2020, I hear there's more no, more members now since the strike, but there were 510,000 members. And we have a new general secretary who is called Daniel Kebede, and Louise Atkinson is its national president. 
If you want to join the NEU, it is a um, membership that you need to pay. It has a cost. For teachers, it is uh, from the, um, depending on if you work full-time or not. But if you don't work full-time, it can be as cheap as £50 per year. And if you work full-time on a high salary, it goes all the way up to £200. If you are a member of SLT, it's uh, from £58 to £233 per year, depending on your salaries. And if you're a teaching assistant or support staff, your uh, subscription, annual subscription, will be from £27 to £111. So, there were different trains unions at the at first there was a national education union neu um there are other ones there's the national association for schoolmasters nasuwt there is the national association of head teachers naht and the association of school and college leaders ascl what's special about the neu is that it's open to all people work in schools so from TAs to teachers to members of the leadership team so it is a little bit more democratic that way and it's uh, trying to work together to include lectures at university as well and it can be in a maintained school or you can be in a private school it doesn't have to be um, it's, it's still the same job you're teaching children the NEU is a trade union for school teachers, further education lecturers, education support staff, and TAs, as I said. And it was born in 2017 from the amalgamation of the National Union of Teachers and the Association of Teachers and Lecturers. It's a recent marriage between two unions that had a long history. And um, Danielle Kebede is going to replace Kevin Courtney and Mary Boosted. Um, Obviously, the two previous unions were called NUT, National Union of Teachers, and ATL, the Association of Assistant Mistresses. There were um, unions that were created in at the end of the Industrial Revolution in 1870s and 1880s. So NEU members were... Um, on um, on the strike on strike previously this month, and they voted. Ninety percent of them voted to walk out in industrial action in in England. So we are seeing now that they rejected the proposal for the government. So we are likely to see more strikes from the NEU. Why did the NEU members was strike? Well, they were striking because they thought that pay for teachers was too low. It had fallen by a fifth since 2010 when the David Cameron was elected prime minister. Um, they also think it's uh, important to fully state fund the pay rise if there's a pay rise because we can't take any money from the school budgets to pay teachers wages. The school budgets are too reduced as they are. Whether you believe that striking is effective or not, it is important to encourage the right to strike. This is a democratic right. And we are expecting more rights in the future. What are the positive of striking? Well, apparently, according to research by Emma Sarah Hughes, PhD candidate in employment relations at Bangor University, um, striking lecturers reported that they had lower stress levels, renewed energy, and they enjoyed the solidarity of the movement they belong to. And they also said that it's, it supported creativity and it was good for them because they could voice their concerns and it gave them a voice. So we have the positive side of striking on the part of the ones who are striking. Striking provides people with um, many more rights than when we started in um, before striking we didn't have uh, the right to uh, refuse cover we had to cover for absent colleagues we didn't have pro protected time to prepare our classes women didn't have equal pay before this they were on strike maternity leave and parental leave were also obtained via striking sick pay as well and free lunch time with no duties was also earned by striking. So striking allows 
teachers and workers to, to protect their rights or to acquire more rights. It creates a sense of community, a deeper knowledge of legal working rights, and it gives them a political education. Daniel Kebede is replacing Mary Boosted. She was um, she she's still a British trade unionist, and uh, she was obviously a teacher. She had graduated from university in English, and she's been a member of or supporter of the Labour Party. She was um, a co-leader with Kevin Courtney, who is a Welsh former school teacher. He's worked in education most of his life and he now lives in Stoke Newington. So they are retiring from their position as general secretary in tandem and they're going to be replaced by Daniel Kebede. So Daniel Kebede is the new NEU general secretary. He was elected and he will start his new position on the 1st of September. So he's still not in power yet. Uh, there's a time, a transition transitional time. Now, Daniel Kebede's program was quite clear. I'm going to quote what he said in his program. His priorities were a national campaign to reduce workload for teachers, an increase in school funding, particularly for uh, special educational needs, a real terms pay rise for all educators, not just teachers, equality for women, black, LGBTQ and disabled educators and pupils, national pay and conditions for supply educators and support staff, or TAs. He also wanted to abolish Ofsted, end child poverty and defend pensions. And his motto was for a strong united union that wins. Quite a program. I particularly um, admire the end child poverty because remember it's um, up to 3.8 million children in the UK while living in poverty and abolish Ofsted, uh, he got me at that one, I have to say. Now, if you look at the headlines, the right-wing press was already starting its um, campaign to uh, criticize Daniel Kebede. I'm quoting the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail said, Hard-left Corbynite, who was once forced to apologize for an anti-Semitic slur, is tipped to become education union leader. That's quite a headline. And uh, Sir John Hayes, who is um, Tory MP, who has been very keen on promoting Suela um, Brahman's career, has said, the last thing we want is for teachers who, for the most part, do such a great job, having a Bolshevik represent their interests. So that was Sir John Hayes, Conservative MP for South Holland and the Dippings, who um, compares Daniel Kebede to a 1910 Russian um, Soviet Bolshevik. Interesting choice of words again from the right wing press. So we wish Daniel Kebede a great uh, general secretary position at the head of the NEU. And we are hoping that he will be able to achieve some of his priorities. We're particularly interested in seeing what he's going to do about Ofsted, which is being criticized a lot at the minute. Um, we are also very keen on the fact that he said he wanted equality for women, black and LGBT and disabled educators and pupils. And we're hoping that he might also consider how to support students who go through life transitions such as puberty and staff who go through the menopause. So I hope you found this presentation interesting. If you have any questions, you can reach me on Twitter at Prof. Prof. MFL. I would be delighted to um, communicate with you and I'm looking forward to seeing you in the near future. Thank you. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. So today we talked about life transitions in school, we talked about puberty for students, and we talked about the menopause for staff. I hope you found this show interesting and please contact me on Twitter at ProfProfMFL if you want to keep the communication and conversation going. Thank you!
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.